Uh, one ticket for And Why Not, please. And why not? The movie podcast from the Nerds Who Haunt Themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine, and for this episode, which is the second in our movie fight series, I was joined by the mighty John Tucker and the mighty Tom Stewart to discuss the film Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, we call them movie fights because that sounds good as a title, but they're more like a nice discussion between friends um, about a film that we don't necessarily agree on, but that's not a great title. Movie fights is a punchy title, no pun intended. Um, as with the Captain Fantastic episode, we'll, we've got the trailer at the top of the episode and then we'll go in to discussing it and there'll be some clips from the film sprinkled throughout as well. Um, so that's really it for this side of things. Um, I shall pass you over to the main body of the episode and start off by rolling the trailer. Roll the trailer. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. You know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills. Computer hacking skills. How was school? Worst day of my life. What do you think? <laughs> Idiot. What kind of bike do you have? It's a sledgehammer. Dang. You ever take it off any sweet jumps? What are you drawing? A liger. What's a liger? It's my favorite animal. It's like a lion and a tiger mixed. Why are you so sweaty? I've been practicing some dance moves. Is Trisha here? Is that my driveway? That's my ride. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, hello. How the devil? All right, yeah. Everyone, everyone good? Everyone excited? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as excited as I can be having watched some puckered up pen. Cut. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't watch the animated series as well as a... Uh... <laughs> oh, I didn't even watch that. that. Just for extra yeah. homework. Uh, yeah, so this is the second movie fights. Uh, not as many thought it probably would be Garden State. Uh, <laughs> this this time it's John's turn to pick a film, and John, you have well, I mean, it'd be the picture on the people's iPod anyway, whatever they listen to it on. But yeah, uh, you've chosen Napoleon Dynamite. Well, I thought it would be, this time it would be better if I was the person on defence, you know, <laughs> because as you mentioned uh, in your reviews episode with Tony, uh, movie fights is quickly becoming. Um, shitting on films that tom likes so i thought i'll bring a film that i like and you two can try your best to shit on it try your yeah. best nice. so nice so yeah so it's the 2000 is it 2004 yeah 2004 yeah 2004 jared hess film starring john heater and deidre bader's probably the best known people in it, isn't it? yeah and uh, yeah. for fans of waterworld uh tino marioni yeah well let's go with that the little girl oh, from Waterworld. Is she the little girl from Waterworld? Ah. She, is, yeah. She's, uh, she went from Costner <laughs> to this. 
Yeah, I just remember in that a uh, pretty dark uh, pink video. That was pretty brutal. She like <laughs> slashes her wrist in the bath, which is kind of how I felt after watching this film. So that's pretty good. Did Pink make a video where someone slashed their wrists in the bathtub? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Was it get the party started? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think well, it was uh, that rock star one. Uh, I was going to say that's a deep uh, cut, but I didn't mean that as a pun. So. Okay. <laughs> well, it could have been so what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. That was it. Um no, I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, yeah. She did a video, it was all like a girl getting, it's that girl getting bullied, and then she slashes her wrist in the bath. But she doesn't die, she just straps them up and paints a picture. Oh, that's, that's happy. Oh, well, there we go then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's how I make comics. <laughs> so yeah, Napoleon Dynamite, so you're a fan, John. Mm-hmm. And Tom, you're a massive fan as well? Uh, I hate this movie. <laughs> hate it. Hate it with a passion. That didn't come across that... in your preamble video. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Much to the point that every time I mean I I've used to work in a charity shop and every time it came in, in the charity shop I would look for any excuse to hide them or put them in the bin or <laughs> uh or put them out on uh I like free to a good home or a shit home or just get them the fuck out of the shop kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, I hate it <laughs> with a <the> passion. <laughs> yeah, um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm staying on the fence for now, but uh, yeah, so John, when did hmm. Napoleon Dynamite first come into your life and um, what was it about it that made you fall in love with it? Napoleon Dynamite came into my life, um, when it came out. Basically, I can't remember who was who it was that told me about it, but I think it must have been two thousand and either two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Somebody said, "Oh, you've got to watch this film," and you know, I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't seen the trailer. They said, "Oh, you're gonna love it," right? And I think it was at their house that I saw it, and they put it on. And I was just, I was just mesmerized by it. I thought yeah, because it was so different to anything else that had, um, uh, that had been out before and really since. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's nothing really quite like it. Um, there's lots of things I like about it. Um, I think it's, um, well, I like, you know, we can, we can, we can argue about whether or not it is actually funny. Of course, that's, you know, um, that's subjective. I think it's funny. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a stretch for people to imagine that John Tucker likes a very dry film about people just going <laughs> about their day-to-day lives. Right. I don't think that's a stretch, but, um, no, I just, I, you know, there's lots, lots of things I like about it, but, um, well, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, a little bit later on. Was sorry, it actually two thousand? No, sorry. Was it actually two thousand four, two thousand five that it came out here, though? I think so. I was, I was, I, st- thought... I was st- still in school when it came out over here, so it must have been before two thousand six. Right. Yeah, I think okay. it came out on. I don't know when we got it on cinema. I know it came out on DVD in two thousand and five. I think that's when All I right, saw so it. Was... Because yeah, I'm pretty right, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's when I bought it. Because I was. Yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, working out where I was in my life at that point when I bought it. So yeah, did it help? What? Figure <laughs> out where you were in my life. life or? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sad now. <laughs> Probably not because you just remembered where you were and you thought oh, it was happier time before that came on. All right. 
<laughs> well, I clearly bought it twice because I've got the two disc special edition, so mm. which didn't come out till a few years after. So, uh, so I I clearly double dipped. But but yeah. So Tom, when did you first discover Napoleon Dynamite? Uh, when <clears throat> I was going out with somebody who seemed to be very obsessed with the vote for Pedro bullshit that happens in it. Um, they bought a t-shirt. I said, what the hell is that? She said, oh, it's from this film. She played the film to me. I said, well, that's an hour and a half of my life. I'll never get back. Thanks very much for that. Um, and you left and never yeah. came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just, everybody seemed to be obsessed with it for the longest time around here. And well, probably just in general, to be fair, it's a pretty popular film, um, and it seems to have spurned off this this whole thing of merchandise and everything on the back of it as well, with his stupid face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I remember it just consciously being in the background of everything that was going on at that time. Whether it was to do with like I think it's an MTV film. Um, I couldn't yeah. actually remember that being the case, but I think it was kind of in the background of every sort of MTV-based culture, like pop culture thing that was kind of going on at that point. Like uh, later episodes of Jackass and everything were intertwined with advertisements for fucking Napoleon Dynamite or some version of a TV show or short or something or his stupid demeanour going about doing stuff on the streets or whatever, being Napoleon Dynamite and oh, just <laughs> fuck off, fuck off. I want to put this. I want to put this out right now. By the way, I heard your um, Captain Fantastic today with uh, with uh, Charles, and he said that he just doesn't swear. And I thought that's really really nice. And I thought I'm going to completely ruin that tonight. <laughs> I know he told it's me that, and I terrible. listened back, and I was like, I swear all the way through this episode, I feel. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I just thought I'm going to completely ruin that because I, every every time I can't think of anything and get too angry about something, I just swear incessantly. So fuck this, <laughs> fucking bullshit, fucking film, fucking. Oh. Well, a compelling <laughs> argument. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like I say, I bought it in. When 2004-2005 when it was released and watched it then and I must have enjoyed it because I double dipped and then I didn't watch it again until last night right. and I gotta be honest I was bored <laughs> I right. find this film so fucking boring but at the end of it I didn't hate it I was just like eh. <laughs> I, th- I think it's... a film like this I think this was I think a film like this is like made for something like movie fights. Do you know what I mean? Because like, um, you know, there was an article in What Culture about it a few years ago, and it called it the most divisive film ever made. And I don't know if either of you read up on this, but in 2006, Netflix offered a one million dollar bounty to the first person uh, who could solve the Napoleon Dynamite problem. And what that was was, you know, if uh, you know, with the Netflix algorithm, if you give um, like Goodfellas a high rating, um, the algorithm could based on other people's activity, it could confidently suggest that you would probably give the good, the Godfather a, a high rating and you'd probably like training day. Yeah. But Napoleon dynamite, they said the problem was they couldn't figure out who to recommend it to because it completely polarized the viewers. People would either give it five stars or they'd give it 
one star. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And then, it's too you know, quirky. Yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah, yeah sun, like Sundance, it went really, went down really well at Sundance. Um, Roger Ebert hated it. It is definitely a, a polarizing film, right? And we, and we can argue all day long about whether or not the film really is funny, right? But, you know, again, that's subjective. However, it is completely and utterly unique, right? Unique in its subject matter, its location, its presentation. And I think it is, like, aesthetically and culturally important. I, th- I think it's inevitably going to end up on the, you know, the cultural significance list, the, um, the National Film Registry in America. You know, it's, it's, in, it's inevitable, that it's going to end up on there. I feel one day, right? And you know, I, I, because I, I, I read, I, I did some reading around it while I, while I was preparing for this, and there was a lot of stuff thrown around, like oh, you know, coming of age, high school, blah blah blah. And I think it's less of a coming of age film. I mean, there are elements of that, but it's more of a western, right? And it does follow the western model, right? So if we think of Napoleon Dynamite as like the deputy of a sheriffless town. With, with Pedro arriving to instill law and order in an outlaw town. And then Napoleon steps up, confronts the entire school at the election. And in the end, Napoleon rides off into the sunset with the girl in tow, right? It's the most modern example I can think of, um, of a film that is both set in the West and follows like the classic Western plot arc. But it does so by addressing and utilizing contemporary Western problems and themes, right? So you've got... Um, you know, it, it made like of like the the Mexican community of the rural Midwest. You know, because you know the the rural uh, the rural Midwest as it is today was built on these people's backs, right? But they're largely hidden from public view in media and film. Like if you think of seeing like Mexicans in you know bouncing lowriders in films, you don't think of them being in Idaho, do you? Right? And then, you know, then there's the issue of like non-uniform techno- like technological proliferation in an age where it's ne- where it's increasingly a necessity rather than a luxury. And I think to use that story arc and that setting to make a film that is simultaneously it's about the uncertain future and it's about the gilded past, right? And it's a past that many in the people are like desperately wishing to return to, like you know, like Uncle Rico. And then the other half of the people in the film are like desperate to break away from it. So you've got like you know Deb, Napoleon, Kip, and the others. I think it was a stroke of genius, um, to my mind, the, the, and it's unique in the canon of American cinema, right? Well, the coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things have been different. I'd have gone pro in a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. Kip, I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. But don't just take my word for it, because... Oh my god. I have in my hands here a copy <laughs> of an academic paper from the Western Historical Quarterly, volume 39, number two, from 2008. It's 24 pages long. Nicholas Minx, A Napoleon Dynamite Identity, Rural Idaho, The Politics of Place, and the Creation of a New Western Film, in which he broadly discusses the impact of the film on the identity of the real Preston Idaho. And in it, he states, right, 
As film critic Neil Feynman and other critics have suggested, Napoleon Dynamite functions to most viewers outside of the rural Mormon Rocky Mountain West as a comedic coming-of-age film that perpetuates many of the themes of the genre. On some level, they are correct. The elements of the work that pay homage to the lives of high school students certainly accounted for the movie's popularity in mainstream America. Yet it is not enough to view Napoleon Dynamite as another genre high school film. To many who saw the film inside the region, the movie represented something more. To them, it revealed a uh, a potent and often powerful exposition and critique of their society. While much of the MTV generation witnessed an expose on high school life that reflected many of their own preoccupations with acceptance, technology, race and ethnicity, residents in the area experienced an equally intimate social drama about their region's relationship or lack thereof with these categories. So on that basis and you know this thing is 24 pages long and i've highlighted the shit out of it so um <laughs> i'm sure we'll be drawing on that a little bit later on that's real that's from the 2008 uh, volume 39 number two uh edition of the western historical quarterly which is an academic paper and i had to log back into my university emails to get a hold of this paper from jstor um but that is why i think it's aesthetically and culturally significant counterpoint fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell See, I knew you would do something like this as well. You knew I'd I do this. There. So you knew I'd go and find an academic paper. No, you're just you're 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 a, you're an intelligent you're an intelligent man, Mister Tucker. I very much would never underestimate your your power and ability to uh, go above and beyond when it comes to uh, an, an argument. sake, and I appreciate that one hundred percent. But fuck you. Um, <laughs> this film. <laughs> this film is trash. Wins. Utter, utter <laughs> trash. I'm sorry, but that's academically looking at something. Some people, when they sit down to a film and sit down to something that is billed as a comedy and something that has been uh, marketed and completely uh, put out there to the masses and punctured out to these kids through the MTV network and everything, are looking for something that is just a baseline, borderline comedy. Not some arty-farty, look three to seven layers deep to find the hidden meanings that are going on behind it and the social aspects and coming of age and all that bullshit. Give me some funny, funny man and some funny, funny stuff that's going on in the film. I don't need all this other crap that's going on. It was boring. Well, I, th- well absolutely- I, I think it was oh. funny, right? I, I think it was a funny film. I think it was uh, it had lots of good jokes in it, right? But if because the thing is, it, you know, unless this is going to be an hour and a half of yes, it was funny versus no, it was not. Um, I had to I had to come prepare with something else, and that something else was a twenty four page academic paper on <laughs> uh, the identity of the rural Midwest. Yes, very much so. And I, <laughs> the way it plays as well, the entirety of the way it plays, the whole thing of like the whole fact of whether it's funny or not, and all that kind of junk, the way it plays is like a series of sketches, and I can see where they're coming from in that respect as well. Is that the way it's cut and the way this film is done. It is almost like a series of sketches that just have a borderline sort of coherence and, and narrative going behind it. No, uh, no, 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 no. I'll argue I that. Can see, which I can see where they're coming from trying to set up the sort of humor, humorous factor of it. Um, but does that actually play out as a proper film? I, I don't think that plays out as a, a proper film in that respect. If it's just well, a sketches strung together well that's if you if you approach it as a series of sketches but no i, I think it I, I think it does have 
well, well, it do, you know it does have a, a, a an overarching plot, and it does have these subtextual layers about you know, um, uh, you know, like the American dream and what it means to people all over America, and not just in the uh, overrepresented uh, Western East Coasts. You know, it's about um, you know, it's about fitting in. Uh, whether be that whether you are uh, you know because Napoleon Dynamite and this is another brave thing that I think they did with this film is that Napoleon Dynamite is not a likable protagonist for a film. You're not supposed to like Napoleon Dynamite. He's not a you know he's not um you know like a ready-made hero for you to to mm. root for in the film. He's whiny and he complains that he hasn't got his chapsticks when he needs to come home from school and 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 you know and he is an an unlikable protagonist in many ways. Hi. Is Grandma there? No, she's getting her hair done. What do you need? Can you just go get her for me? I'm really busy right now. Well, just tell her to come get me. Why? Because I don't feel good. Well, have you talked to the school nurse? No, she doesn't know anything. Will you just come get me? No. Well, will you do me a favor then? Can you bring me my chapstick? No, Napoleon. But my lips hurt real bad. Just borrow some from the school nurse. I know she has like five sticks in her drawer. I'm not gonna use hers, you sicko. See ya. Oh, idiot. But there are I'm glad these. You said that because I thought it was just me. <laughs> no, 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 no. He is. He, he is definitely an unlikable protagonist. But um, but to say that there that there is no underlying to say that the plot isn't moving forward and there are no underlying themes behind all the separate scenes i no i i don't i don't agree with that i i i i think that it's all tied together very nicely and things are set up early that pay off later and you know it and everything every single shot in the film sets the right tone you know i think the art direction on it was fantastic you know, because everything looks like it was just pulled out of the 1980s. Like if the internet wasn't there and the year of the high school wasn't printed on his ID card at the beginning, you probably would think it was set in the 80s. You know, I th- uh, no, I think it was. I think it was masterfully done. I, I you know that whole thing kind of. I cannot but feel that that film is partially responsible for that fucking retro hipster douchebag fucking thing that started not long after. Oh, that. Started oh, that was long the th- before Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Well, that was I the thing. You're saying that he's an unlikable character, and yet everybody seems to love him. Like everybody that I ever come across as a fan of this film, they seem to think he's amazing. And it also seems to come across that it's just set the standard for a generation of people now to act like fucking Napoleon Dynamite. How many people Ways do you know that act like Napoleon Dynamite? Breathy. Plenty of fucking. But there's the fucking kids that live across the street that act exactly like him. <laughs> How old are the kids across the street? They're usual typical teenagers. Teenagers. Do you think they'll have seen Napoleon Dynamite? Which is now 100%. a 16-year-old film. I don't know. 100%. They're sitting I watching Friends in their spare time, quoting lines out, out the out the backies and everything. They're definitely watching Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know. I, I don't think he's been as big a cultural... Um, I don't think he's been as lasting a cultural uh, export, in, particularly not in this country, as you may think, I, I, I think he just reflected something that was true before and remains true now, which is that even, you know, because you look at the, the typical high school film, look at something like The Breakfast Club, right? 
And this is a film that often gets bandied around when people are talking about where Napoleon Dynamite sits in the in the sort of canon of American film. You look at something like The Breakfast Club. So you've got these four people. Was it four people in The Breakfast Club who were stuck five. together? Five. Sorry, five. Yeah. So you've got these five people, and a few of them have got problems and blah, 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 right? But they are all, A, conventionally attractive, and B, they all <laughs> they all possess this natural confidence that Napoleon doesn't have to begin with, but grows into as the film goes along. Because you look at it, and to a point where he has more confidence at certain points in the film than any of the Breakfast Club kids have. Because, you know, you look at these Breakfast Club kids, they're meant to be, you know, outcasts and misfits, but they all look a certain way and they're all dancing on the tables with each other. You know, I don't know any of the truly freak kids who would have done that in the school I went to. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think I don't think Napoleon Dynamite is a is a lasting cultural influence, particularly not when compared to some of the other like famous like coming of age films, and particularly some of the modern ones like Superbad and Booksmart just recently, like the sort of smarter ones that have come around the last few years. But um, yeah, no, no, I I I think it was I, I think it was all put together well. I think it all reached a satisfying conclusion, like an old you know spaghetti western style. You know the the sheriff gets the girl and rides off into the sunset, and I think you know, I think it dealt with all those themes uh, very well indeed. See, yeah, a, a problem a problem that I had with it was that the last two minutes seemed like it was part of a completely different film for me. I thought well, the last two minutes were something totally different, as if it as if it was setting up and leading up to this point, but I didn't see it leading up to that point at all. Well, it's just like they put on they put on that song at the end and it's like oh but this is this is the wrap up this is the this is a good bit it's like well no this is just a song to make you feel like that the actual point that it's got to doesn't feel like anything i'll just i'll disagree with that i mean yeah i i can't here's the thing i'm not going to check i'm not going to change anybody's mind at the end of this tom isn't gonna you know repent for these bad ideas he's got (laughs) on the podium dynamite but i mean I, i i think that I think the use of music in the film was very clever. I think the it was it was well soundtracked, um, and I think yeah, that, that I think that that and again that all feeds into this idea that these people are are, are lost in time, that America is moving forward and these people are left behind, right? Because everything comes from the eighties, and you know, other than the the Jack White song at the very beginning and um, Canned Heat, I think everything in the film, you know, like. Uh, like time after time was was played at some point and you know there was lots of songs from the 80s used throughout the film but i think but i think as a as a natural conclusion to the film i think the the choice of music and also the scene because you know it was you know it all ended it ended where it began it all ended it you know in the school and he's just playing tetherball she's not really participating he's just whacking it as hard as he can you know, it's not like he pulled up in that bouncer car and picked her up and then kissed her in the back seat. You know, it's not some ridiculous, you know, step up from anything we've seen previously. I think it's all in keeping with the film as it's been to this point. But I, I, I think it was a, a satisfying conclusion and that was in keeping with the film as a whole and it paid off what was building the whole way through. And, and again, you know, if you look at the, the film up to that point, I, I think there is an argument to be made that the film is about you know this uh, this sort of like disillusionment that was beginning to settle in in America and this fracturing of what the American dream actually meant for Americans outside of California and New York, right? Because you know you've got these kids who are going to this school where they clearly don't give a shit what those kids are doing. 
right? Because you've got the Happy Hands Club, which is of no merit whatsoever, right? They're just dancing with their hands, right? And it's like, yeah, whatever, just let them do that, whatever, that's fine. They feed them garbage, and nobody in the school is shown doing anything well. Even, like, the other kids in the school playing basketball, you see have missed the backboard and everyone's crap at everything. Do you know what I mean? In that sense, like, you know, because you see these other you know, other films that are set in, uh, like, the high school setting where you've got, like, you know, the, the star quarterback or, like, the star dance team. And they're all, they're all like, you know, professional standard. But in reality, if you look at, like, rural schools, that, that isn't the standard that rural schools uh, are building towards. They're just trying to get people through the day. And, uh, like, I... I saw a lot of my own like school years in Napoleon Dynamite, and I saw a lot of myself in Napoleon Dynamite, like this this curmudgeonly unpleasant uh, nerdy shit who was just drawing in his notebook and scowling at people. Like you know, I, I think you know, he, as unlikable as he was, well, I was unlikable as well when I was a teenager. So maybe that's why I latched I, onto it. I'd argue I was probably the same, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I think there were lots of Napoleon Dynamites out there, and I think I was probably one of them. But um, I think all of that was paid off in the end because no one no one no one really you know like napoleon had his day pedro had his day kip got what he wanted you know um even uncle rico got what he wanted in the end deb got what she wanted but at the end of it they are still um they're still living in a highly rural area where none of the hardly any of the roads are paved people get around by bike or bus or not at all or in these like old dodge vans you know they're at a school where clearly they're not really paying attention to what these kids are doing day in, day out. Nothing has fundamentally changed in their lives. It's not the big, you know, like the best Napoleon can hope for in his life is probably running the laser quest. You know what I mean? Like That was actually like a kid I went to school with. That was his dream job. He said that in a careers day, he said, my dream job is to run the laser quest. And he got (laughs) chewed out for that. They were like, you should aim higher than that. Right. But to his credit, he did it. Right. He runs that laser quest now. And I like to think that Napoleon is running the Preston laser quest somewhere out there. You know what I mean? But I think it did I think it did pay off in the end. I think it did. So you didn't well, clearly you didn't, but you didn't see any of it as just being quirk for quirk's sake to go with the the feel of the film and try to get this whole quirky, like non non humor, non film aspect about it, which a lot of people to Jared Hess's uh, um like to his sort of success he's he's sort of carved a a space saying that it's like his almost um well it was his like that he, he went to that high school he went to preston high school <laughs> what just, he uh, did just uh, yeah i know no i don't mean that i meant i meant in the in the film i mean like that <sighs> this was i'm leaving that style um that style of filmmaking that whole like just nothing's really happening like there's nothing really going happening. on. There's lots of, ugh, but there wasn't anything going on. It was just loads of like awkward pauses and sighs and the Tom, whole fact that like in the first twenty minutes of the film, right? Napoleon gets on the bus to school. Like he has an altercation with a bully. He has to go home to get his chapstick. We set up Kip as chatting online with babes all day. We see Deb come around trying to pay for pay your way through college by selling tat uncle rico turns up with his big tupperware idea pedro rolls into town a lot of things happen throughout the film it's a busy film things are happening all the time but uncle rico is just throwing random footballs kip is sitting on like the oldest ass computer there is 
Yes, uh, because it's Idaho in 2004. <laughs> but and Uncle Rico was still in footballs because he was a high school quarterback star who never got over it. And that Deb's... is a real archetype. I know people who were good at sports in high school and never got over it, right? I mean, that is as real as it gets. But, you know, I, there is things that there are things happening. The film is always moving forward. And I think when you say, when you say like, oh, the quirk, right? Do you mean things like, like the like esoteric swearing, like, you know, like you freaking idiot and stuff like that? Because that's all, you know, because again, I'm, I'm looking, looking at this paper and there were people in Preston, Idaho at the time who said that the film was almost too real because it was a highly Mormon area where that is swearing. You know what I mean? And that is the way those people speak and that is the way those people live their lives. So I think it was less like, I don't think it was quirk for quirk's sake. I think it was a highly, um, a highly specific view of a very narrow field of existence in America that has not received a great deal of, um, has not received a great deal of play on the screen. Yeah. That, that'll be, that'll literally be the main thing that I'm missing then. Cause I don't know anything about Idaho, Idaho or anything about that American lifestyle around that bit at all. So it all just looks like quirk for quirk's sake, like him getting about on rollerblades, pulled on the back of a bicycle, him throwing an action figure out the window and traipsing it along the back of the bus. Which is objectively funny. Him checking that no one's looking on a bus full of kids who are all like 10 years younger than him, which again plays into this rural American theme that this is the only bus that comes his way but it's meant for the the younger kids. Just checking the bus driver's looking, lowers the window, check, look, check, look, and then he throws the action figure out the window and holds it. Like, yes, I've done it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that was, I think that was a as good an introduction to Napoleon Dynamite as you could get without him basically just rattling off his character traits off a piece of paper. Oh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's, yeah. I do have I do just have a big bee in my bonnet about this film. And I know that. I know that one hundred percent. And I'm wondering if it is the whole thing of with it being a sort of Mormon set background as well, which the whole Mormon religion has just freaked me out for years. Um <laughs> I just I obviously don't know enough about it. I, I don't get it. Um I just don't I don't understand this film at all. And it's quite funny because we are almost um, we are almost showing the Napoleon Dynamite problem by this conversation. This is the Napoleon Dynamite problem. Me and you are very similar, yeah. Tom. You know, like if you were to look at us both on paper, and I'm sure if you looked at like the films and bands <laughs> that we like, we should both love the film. But yeah. there's just something there that I can see and you can't. It's like a magic eye. You know, it's yeah. some people see something in this film, and it's not all. You know, because you know, is it the funniest film ever made? No. Is it the best Western ever made? No. But I think, it, for me, it was just so refreshing to see something so unglamorous on the film, um, on film, you know what I mean? And to see these normal-looking putzes, you know, like the the, the 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 principal of the high school, you know what I mean? Like, uh, in Preston, we have a thing called Pride, Pedro, and that's why you don't make a, a piñata of summer. Got it? You know what I mean? Like, these just... And that, that, that guy who shoots the cow as the bus is going past he's a real farmer in idaho and he does like napoleon dynamite days on his farm for people to come and have a look and you know to see what preston idaho is really like but and 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 the other and and on that point just briefly i think another thing that this film did really really well and um, which i i can't think of another example of a film that did this um it actually showed 
because you know like you know like typical like american cinema especially in like the late 80s and early 90s and the mid 90s and all that showed america as this you know land of milk and honey where everything's great and you know everyone's got the chance to to be something you know what i mean it was all about it was all aspirational cinema right but this was a film set in a highly rural area and it showed battery farming it showed um you know farmers killing livestock you know paper plates held down by a stone in the sun and flies buzzing around sandwiches like this is what america is really like you know what i mean like this is what you know. If you know, you buy a pack of six eggs in a store. This is where they come from, right? And I can't think of another example of a film that did that. I think it was very interesting filmmaking in that regard to not just show these picturesque vistas because you know, you know Preston, Idaho, for for whether you can say you like or hate the film, like some of those shots in the film, it looks like a beautiful part of the world. But there are you know there are these battery farms and there's you know there's like wide scale agriculture. And I think showing that on film was was really refreshing and really interesting because you don't you didn't see it you know when was the last time you saw battery farming in a coming of age high school comedy you know so uh, I, you can imagine you can imagine why i had an issue with that as well well i did imagine this would be your issue with it yeah but i mean i mean no, <laughs> I, well, I wasn't thrilled about it either but i mean th- but but isn't it better to you know because napoleon Dynamite had a massive audience right isn't it better to show this in a film like that that is predominantly going to be watched by younger people do you know what I mean? To say, well, all right, maybe you've never thought about, maybe you know it, but haven't thought about it. But this is what it takes. Do you know what I mean? Like this is the reality of not just the rural Midwest and not just, you know, these um, agricultural-centered communities in these far-flung areas of America that you've never been to, let alone thought about. But this is the reality of, you know, the eggs on the shelf, the meat on the shelf, all this kind of stuff. Like this is the this is the hard reality of it. You know what I mean? I thought that was so- a really interesting choice. Some people might get that though, but I think it also just completely normalizes it at the same point as well. They just see it in this film like that and go, "Oh, look, let's look at him. He's being so daft, stuffing those chickens back in." Like they well, don't see the the wider the wider picture of it. Well, the, the the problem is, Tom. They literally did see the wider picture of it because it started as a wide pan and moved right. You saw two rows of chickens before you got to Napoleon Dynamite. The the point of that shot was to show what this is like. That's what I that's what I got from it anyway. Is that you know it's these, these picturesque vistas and all this space, and yet we've cooped up thousands of chickens in this dark barn and we're shoving them in. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that I I feel that was the and maybe you know I I can't speak to Jared Hess's intentions. Maybe that wasn't meant to be played for laughs, but I mean. But I think it was a jarring image. I think it was interesting to show that on the screen. So even mm. though you, Tom, probably didn't appreciate seeing chickens in cages, and I didn't either, <laughs> I do think it was. I do think it was an interesting choice. I think it, I think it was the right thing to do to have that slow pan so that you see just how, just how wide scale this is, and just how compressive that atmosphere is. You know what I mean? I just, I just don't know if that's what the general public coming to this for the first time would actually take that away from it. Though, if they would just focus on the fact that, oh, come on, get to Napoleon. There he is. Oh, he's got chickens upside down. That's hilarious. Like, yeah, I would say for most people, it'd play on the quirk factor <laughs> rather than. Which, which, yeah, the deep when, you've dive. Gone, when you've gone through a lot of that film before you actually get to that bit, it just comes across as another part of the quirkiness of it and not really a, a bigger picture to it. But at the same point, I totally get where you're coming from on it, 100%, uh, on how the shot is framed and everything, and what, like you say, panning across all those things before it actually gets them in the first place. But 
<laughs> it's another thing. That's a completely polarizing thing that some people literally just take it at face value and some people look at it properly as it is and be like, what the fuck is that? And I think for all it's a uh, for all the image of that one bit in particular, for all its thing in in particular, I still took that away from it, even not enjoying the film. I still saw that for what it was. And although I may have seen it pessimistically as just being another bit of quirk, I have technically still picked up on it. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, I think. I... I'm very much a Marmite movie. Like I say, I'm largely indifferent to it. I don't, I didn't particularly like it, but I don't particularly hate it either. Which is arguably the worst thing you can say about a film. <laughs> hey, I did some drawings for the flyers. Think, why do you got your hood on like that? Well, when I came home from school, my head started to get really hot. So I drank some cold water. But I didn't do nothing. So I laid in the bathtub for a while. But then I realized that it was my hair that was making my head so hot. So I went into my kitchen and I shaved it all off. I don't want anyone to see. Would either of you agree that it is culturally and aesthetically significant for what it is? Oh, definitely. There's nothing else like it. Certainly not in film anyway. I'd argue that it's probably a huge influence on what came later in animation you look at a lot of the cartoon network shows and you can see a lot of a napoleon dynamite influence in things like clarence or even yeah. adventure time or yes adventure time um, amazing world of gumball uh yeah those sort of things uncle grandpa all that sort of crap all the crap my kids made me watch <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you can see it in that but certainly in film nothing like i mean even if you google films like napoleon dynamite which i did there's there's nothing it's things like rushmore which isn't like that or which isn't like that. It's just those indie quirky characters, but it's nothing. I mean, if you couldn't do a, if you like this film, you'll like this. Like you say, it's the Napoleon Dynamite factor thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, the other other two films that come on the Napoleon Dynamite problem, granted, I saw it on Wikipedia of all things, but the the other two films that come off the Napoleon Dynamite problem are I Heart Huckabees and Lost in Translation. Well, there you go. So what we're saying is I Heart Huckabee's next. Yeah, Yeah, if you want, actually. (laughs) I dislike that film. I could watch that again. Do you not like that film? I've never seen it. To be fair, I've only seen it once, but I did not. There was nothing about it that was like, I need to watch that again. So maybe uh, I need to watch it again. The more interesting thing about that is all the the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened. Yeah. uh, yeah. Seems to be the thing in most David Russell films, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember her, her name. Uh, one of them from, was it Frankie and Gracie or something like that? Oh, um, is it Lily Tomlins? Yeah, I think so. Um, oh, I want to say that is. It sounds about right. But it's those two having a massive argument at different times on set and him walking out the room like screaming and shouting, shutting the door behind him, and you can still hear him screaming and shouting. And then I'm coming back in and screaming and shouting at her again, <laughs> and she's just sort of sitting there being like, "Fucking hell!" Yeah, I feel a lot of my argument towards this film has literally just been that I don't enjoy it. Um, so I, 
I kind of want to focus on the fact of um, something that you mentioned. Do do you not think it was that big a film then? Am I am I putting too much on this? No, I think it was a huge film. I think it was massive because, like right. you said, the the vote for Pedro stuff was everywhere. It was it, it was a massive cultural touch point, and it did clear the way for a lot of the slower kind of lower budget stuff that came in the years after, like things like um, you know me and Earl and the Dying Girl and things like that, and you know a lot of these quieter softer films that came after and i think i think a lot of films have borrowed from napoleon dynamite and things like um uh like you and me and everyone we know you know which um is quite quiet and you know i i I think it's set um i don't think it's set in california or new york i think it's set like middle america but things like that i I think it did open the door for a lot of that stuff and i think it was a, a massive cultural touch point at the time and it was everywhere you know it was all over mtv and all that because it was an mtv film but um but I think it's, you know, it's. I, I I think it holds up. You know, I don't think it was just this, you know, summer of two thousand and five, two thousand and four, whatever. I don't think it was just this thing. As much as like, you know, vote for Pedro T-shirts are, you know, I'm sure in Goodwills all over America and probably stacked, <laughs> stacked up by the dozen in Preston, Idaho. I think you, you can know, still buy them when I left HMV in twenty seventeen. Well, there we are. When yeah. it was I left, so you could still buy them new. Then I mean that was a massive merchandising film. You could get like fucking bubbleheads and everything. I remember going through previews and the amount of Napoleon Dynamite shit in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was yeah, reading uh, about random um, merch section. Yeah. Well, I was reading about uh, you know because I've got this academic paper obviously, and I'm not going to read any more from it. But there was um, a bit in it where they were talking about um, like the the Preston uh, Office of Commerce. You know, they said that they their website usually got like fifty, sixty hits a day, and then it went to like six, seven, eight thousand. And they were having so many visitors that they they decided to start making those like little those little plastic keychains that Deb had in the film, and they have like a Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite day in the town where you can, you know, play tetherball and have tater tot eating contests and stuff like that. So I think you know, especially you know, in places you know, in somewhere like Preston, I'm not surprised they latched onto it as as hard as they did. And a lot of the people in the town, you know, some people were a little bit nervous about having this spotlight cast on the town, especially considering it's, you know, it focused on. Um, you know, like uh, a Mexican protagonist as well, considering the, um, you know, because Idaho, you know, historically and legally has had, you know, quite a quite a nervous relationship with its Mexican population. You know, so I'm, I'm sure some people didn't like it as much. But I, I think, yeah, it was a massive cult, cultural flashpoint. It was, but I think its legacy goes beyond that. I think it, I think it is a, a good film on its own merits. I think beyond the fact that it was this huge thing. I think it does. I think it does stand up, and I think it will be one of those films that remembers, unlike a lot of the other films that came out around the time, which have maybe slipped from view a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it definitely caught the zeitgeist at the time. I think a lot of disillusioned people of that sort of age could relate to Napoleon, even yeah. if they didn't particularly like him. I mean, like I say, I can relate to him. I can probably see as if I actually, without using the rose-tinted view of my younger self, if I actually looked, I probably was like that. I was 100% like that. I was just a silly like, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I can see it in my eldest kid, who's a lot like I was. So, But mm. it, it strikes me as the kind of film as well that I can imagine is still passed around universities. Well, you know, I mean, like, I... you have that one music guy who's like, you've got to listen to Captain Beefheart, man. No, oh, fuck, yeah. But no, I mean, <laughs> well, it is, because, like, I... I... I the last time I was like a, you know, like an undergraduate 
student. I think I, I left Manchester in like 2012, but they had a they had a Napoleon Dynamite screening while I was there, and that was, you know, five or six years later, something like that. So I think I think it did leave its mark, especially in like, um, in that sort of age bracket. I think people in that age group, so like 16 to you know, early twenties. I think, I think they will always have their own relationship with Napoleon Dynamite. But I think, you know, even people who are like a little bit older and a little bit more removed from that now, I think they can get something completely different out of it where they can look back and go, Oh God, you know what? It actually was like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm Mm. like 40 now, so I quite possibly just moved beyond it (laughs) or, you know, don't want to relate to that anymore. Mm. Possibly. But yeah, like I say, I get why people like it. I get why it appeals to, a certain demographic of people it just for me unfortunately largely left me cold there were a couple of bits i found amusing and my eight-year-old found one bit hilarious because he wandered in to get a toy from downstairs and it's the bit where he sends the picture to trish asking her to the dance (laughs) and when he turns it over and there's a picture i just have my eight-year-old pissing himself laughing (laughs) do you not think that that picture do you think that picture now would be something that would be classed as like a critical masterpiece around illustration circles? Or oh, I'd fucking sell out at a zine fair. I've, I've seen yeah, no offense to like zine creators, yeah. but... no full offense yeah. to zine fairs. I've seen people flogging those things. Yeah, like I, I saw it in page fucking. <laughs> yeah, I saw it and literally thought I've seen countless amounts of pictures like that on instagram and stuff being like promising new illustrator coming from i'm like are you yeah, fucking yeah, kidding yeah. <laughs> but i saw it and thought yeah that's 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 the exact thing you would see now and that's the kind of that's the kind of style and stuff that they would probably teach in a fucking university now you know what i mean <laughs> that and the dicks from super bad <laughs> uh, that, oh, that was, was real art that was yeah that was art, art. <laughs> <laughs> no but i'm saying that should that's be the something... two art courses from now on in any school or what Napoleon Dynamite portraits and six from Superbad? We're going to do portraits and ligers this term, and then next term it's uh, <laughs> dicks from Superbad. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I am. Um, yeah, let's see. I'm thinking about zine fairs now. Um, so obviously, you don't like it, Tom. Was there anything redeeming in it that you found, or anything that did make you laugh, or didn't make you go, "Why is this funny"? Well, uh, I always liked Diedrich Bader. Um, I liked him in Office Space. He's the voice of Batman in Brave and Bold. Yeah, uh, and the new Harley Quinn series as well, didn't he? They brought him back for that. Oh, did he? Oh, nice. Um, he's in. Um, oh God, Jane Silent Bob. He's the security guard, isn't he? Yes, that's it. It's Jane Silent Bob. I was trying to think what Kev Smith was. What was? Um, but yeah, so I like um, Diedrich Bader. Um, so just any chance to see him really. But I I got sent that clip i get the, i get sent that clip sporadically quite, quite a lot because that whole self-defense class bit is all right it's quite funny <laughs> um and uh the bit when kip uh reverses over the bowl uh, <laughs> yeah laugh i did laugh um just mainly because he goes dang it and fucking drives off straight away um i did think that was funny but that's it <laughs> See, I liked the bit with the kid fighting over his bike after he's been promised that Pedro will protect him, and then Pedro's cousins pull up in the car and just give the guy the stink eye and like wag their finger at him, mm. and, and the bully just runs off. I found that quite amusing, but I'd like to say, I found my eight-year-old finding the one bit amusing, <laughs> and just the idea yeah. of asking somebody out by drawing a picture. <laughs> 
just yeah, that's... I will show off my artistic skills so they won't be able to resist me. Girls want guys with skills. That's that's the message of the film, and he's right. <laughs> but she didn't actually want him. And that's the other message of the film, and it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mothers will force girls to go to. <laughs> Uh, who was that? I, I got really confused along the way. Who was that that approaches Uncle Rico at the end? It was his ex-wife, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my was interpretation it? of it. Right, I, I, I took I, it to I, mean it was his ex-wife. Right, right. You'd finally I, that was that was one bit that just completely threw me entirely. I stayed with everyone else, but I was going, "Who the fuck is that?" I thought it was for a brief second because she had the same kind of hair. I thought it was Trish, and then I was wondering. Is Uncle Rico a paedophile? See, That's I thought how... it was Trish's mum at first because I couldn't remember she not... what she looked like by that point. Yeah, she was blonde, so um, and a wee bit older, so there was a longer face. So I was thinking, like, oh, it's it's not her. I did for for a brief second. I was being like, does this actually end with a character just being like, oh, I'm a paedophile? And then I thought, no, that can't be right. <laughs> I, I, I will very much t- set I will... Uncle Rico up as a certain kind of character, and then I don't think he is that character. Like the way he sort of approaches Deb, the way he pulls up next to Trish and Summer, and you think he's gonna well, he yeah. is creepy and weird, but not in the way you think he's gonna be. No, that's and, just the. I'll give them that, that that was a good setup. It's just like pulling although, the rug from under you. They never explain what he's doing in the house with the old lady for so long. Well, I think that's implied, isn't it? Or is it? Well, he's in there working his magic, and Napoleon's waiting because he's got to go and pick Trish up. You know what I mean? So that's why Napoleon legs it because he's taking too long, and then it's left to your imagination what he's actually doing in there. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of his you know what wife, I, his wife I, coming I, back at the end kind of made it play more like that's what he was holding out for. Yeah, well, because like the thing is, like every, everybody basically in you know all the sort of like major players in the film, besides like the Summers and the you know, the people who are painted like thinly as antagonists. Everybody got what they wanted in the end, you know? Because like, even though Rico couldn't go back to his high school days, he did manage to get his wife back. Kip went off with his chat room wife. Uh, Napoleon got Deb. Pedro is now respected and integrated in the community. Um, you know, everybody got what they wanted at the end if we're going to go back to this idea of it being like a true Western, you know? So that's the way I took it was that it was his wife. So were Pedro and Deb not a thing by the end? I must. Or were well, they I never think... a thing? It was just. I don't think it was ever a thing. Like Deb, Deb asked her to the dance because he just. I think he just got it in his head that he had to ask somebody, and that was like the done thing. But I think by the end of it, you know, like he he knew that Napoleon was more interested than he was because that's why he said, "Oh, you can have a dance with Deb if you want." It's a, it's it's an odd one. Uh, it's after you've mentioned that aspect of the the sort of western and you detailed it out i could see it i can definitely see it that's a point stuart mark it up (laughs) (laughs) still doesn't make me like it um no you know i i i I openly admit i just i just don't like the film and i'm not going to come around to it like you were saying we're we're not going to convince any of each other otherwise and that's not what we're here to do but at the same point it's uh yeah, it was. It's, it's good to. It's actually refreshing to hear uh, a sort of an, another take that's not just. Oh, but it is funny, because that's what I tend <laughs> to come up against quite a lot. Is on on. Well, I didn't expect anything less from you, John. To be fair, um, but 
you know, I've, I've usually if I go against this, I say, oh, you know, it's it's, it's boring. Is I, I don't latch onto the characters, but I don't understand this, that, the next thing. It's I just don't laugh all this kind of stuff. The the counter argument is always, I but it is funny. I mean, think like that bit. Tina ate your food, and everybody always just quotes lines back. And I think that's where my argument point of the point of the film being lost on people comes from is that people don't get it they just see it as being stupid oh it's daft look at it that's <laughs> oh, hilarious I, I, isn't it but i think the magic i think the magic of the film is that it can be you know you if you if you want you can take the sort of the deep dive into it and see it as a, a commentary on race relations and technological proliferation but you can also just take it on its face and it is just a daft movie and i think it it's clever in that regard because it doesn't actually it doesn't rub your face in the subtext but it's there in every scene you know mm. yeah and you know and you know i you know i i knew that i i knew not to come into this with the argument of like no it's no it's not funny oh but actually yes it is because um <laughs> i've been to enough comic conventions with my books that if someone turns around and says this isn't funny I, I know that there is no point trying to argue on those grounds. <laughs> you can't just say, no, but it is, it is, say it is, say it is, you know? No, that's um, when I'll start fighting with them, John. <laughs> so as a fan, what do you think of the post-credit scene that was filmed like months later and uh, remind clearly me of had a major scene? budget? It's the wedding, it's um, oh, yeah. Kip's um, wedding. Kip and LaFonda. Um I, you know, I, I think it, it again. It, it paid off stuff that was that was referenced previously. Um, I think I'm not sure when that must have been filmed. I mean, yeah, it must have been filmed later. But sure I can't read it. Was it was after the screenings? I don't oh, know when they realised that screen, or whether it initially after it had been released into theatres. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it added. I don't think it added a great deal. I think it was just a, like a nice. You know, a nice aesthetic piece just to sort of throw in there. I don't think it added um, anything story-wise that wasn't um, covered or um, concluded in the the body of the film itself. Yeah, it was it was okay. It was fine. Yeah. See, I found it was just unnecessary. It very much felt like something the studio would. Yeah. Said, well, they could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they could have done with it. I'm sure it was. Um, you know, I, I'm sure once they realised they had something on their hands that was going to be beyond this. You know this four hundred thousand dollar budget film or whatever it was. And as soon as they realised that it could be a bigger thing, I'm sure they were keen to try and start focus grouping bits of it. But I think the good thing about a film like that is that once it's made and in the can, you can't really go back afterwards because um, because of of the the high seasonality of somewhere like Idaho, where it's either glorious vistas or six inches of snow. You know what I mean? Like you can't really go in afterwards and and meddle with it. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's what it was. I don't I don't think it added much, but yeah, it was fine. No, give give fans of people that have have liked it to that point just a, a bit more of them of the characters. It didn't give anything more of the sort of film. It just gave them another bit of the characters at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it really ties up, look, Kip, yeah. doesn't it? It's... Yeah, <laughs> well, I was I, I was actually I was actually really surprised to see that there was more of it. I'd never actually seen that bit before. It was no, only on the rewatch that I'd seen that. Yeah, I usually just turned off after the credits. Yeah, well, like yeah. I say, it was a fine thing. I just think it ended quite nicely with the two of them, or not the two of them, but him just bashing the ball backwards and forwards and inviting Deb to play. Mm. Yeah. Kind of thing. That was sort of... But then I quite like a ambiguous-ish ending. 
not neatly tied up kind of thing. Well, I think it was as neatly tied up as you're ever going to get it, but it was yeah. tied up. It was well, yeah, tied for a up film with... where nothing really happens, no offence, but... <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't mean that in a damning way. Is I mean that's very. Much... I'm not. I'm not going to argue this point again. But um, like, you know, I, I think. I think you know. I think Kip's storyline was resolved with him getting on the bus with her. Yeah. You know that. You know because from that, you know, you know who knows what's going to happen in the future with any of these people. But where we leave them, they are all happy and they've all got what they want. You know what I mean? So I think the wedding, yeah, it was fine, but it didn't need to be there. Well, there's a six-episode animated series where you can find out. <laughs> What happened I will not be watching that, baby. I remember that being really heavily advertised. And then, yeah, just it disappeared as pretty much as quickly as it the hype train for it was about. I think I think by that time, I, th- I think, you know, the um I think they they were trying to capitalize on that sort of like zeitgeisty thing. I think yeah. that they thought that there was something inherently um uh, you know, sort of like anything with Napoleon Dynamite in it is going to be this like cultural like flashpoint moment. I think, and I don't think it was. I think there was just something about. Um, I think I think the timing of the film was very good. I think there was just something about the, the time that it was released that made it. Um, it's one of those films you very much don't really want to know what happened after it ends. Yeah, and you don't need to know. Yeah, you know? it's it's perfect as it is, kind of thing. It's just that little perfect. As I'd it argue is. that film go. probably is timeless because of. <laughs> It's it's setting in with that sort of you know they've got old computers they've got VCRs that sort of thing. Yeah, by making so the it sort of gives it that weird yeah. out of a time sort of period thing because like you say it's like sixteen years old now. Yeah, but but yeah, I like I say I, people who enjoy it it's it doesn't bother me. But at the same time, for people who don't like it, I can fully understand why, and I can fully understand why you're never going to win any people over that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think there'll ever be a case of somebody switching camps. Like, no one is going to watch it and go, oh, I've just realised it's a, it's a discussion on race and identity of the rural Midwest. Oh, yes! You know what I mean? No one... No one's going <laughs> to... No one's going to come around. I'm not going to be able to talk anybody into the the pro Napoleon camp, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it is. It, it is just it's the Napoleon Dynamite problem. It's you know, it, there's no way of knowing whether you're going to like it. You just have to watch it and figure it out for yourself, which is good in a way. You know, like I think, I, I think it, it, films like that I would say are probably more valuable than ones where no one really gives a fuck either way. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's better to have something yeah. that is really polarizing and is really going to get people's backs up, or they're really going to like it, than to have something that where everyone's just like, "Oh yeah, it's fine." You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather watch like, I'd rather watch the piano teacher than, you know, some fucking you know Adam Sandler thing where he's playing himself and his son. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those films. It's not aged badly. There's nothing in it that's particularly offensive that you'd look back on now, apart from. Um, the use of the word retard. There's probably nothing in it that's yeah. really great on a modern audience. No, well, if anything, it was actually slightly ahead of its time because the, the whole 80s nostalgia thing hadn't really come out properly yet. And it's only been in the last sort of eight to six years or something like that 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 started cropping up with Stranger Things and all that kind of jazz. And then you see it in Napoleon Dynamite and it actually has more of a place now than it does anywhere else. Yeah, and I think the clever thing that Napoleon Dynamite did was showing the both the glamorous and unglamorous stuff of the eighties, you know, yeah. because it also showed the moon boots and the, 
you know the uh, the American flag trousers and the all this other pants. the parachute pants and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like and people listening to stuff on cassette and all this other stuff. I, I think I, I think it was um, you know like a a visually satisfying simulacrum of the nineteen eighties. And I think I, that did help, I think, to make it timeless because it was already out of time when it came out. It's, it, it's not like, you know, if Napoleon had had an iPod, that would have grated with a modern audience. It would have been like, oh, geez, what the hell is that? You know? Yeah, you've but... only got a film from that time where they fucking open their flip phone or something or pull out their Motorola. Yeah, well, like you look at like, the, the American office, you know what I mean? Like there's bits yeah. in it where they're all like clamoring to get hold of an iPod. And if you saw one on the street now, you wouldn't pick it up. Do you know what I mean? Like, so. <laughs> So stuff like that is easily datable because basically, and, and it's because, you know, there was the iPhone in 2007 and that was like a, you know, basically like the whole world changed within the next couple of years. Like basically nobody had one of these things and then everybody had one. So the pre and post times are really obvious when you see them on the screen. But, you know, yeah. and, and the other good thing is because no one in the film had a cell phone, they were able to pull off 80s movie tropes, you know, of like having to rely on, you know, phones with cords and you know, not having instantaneous communication. You know, having some people know things that other people didn't, and things like that. It was, it just made for more visually satisfying storytelling. I think where you know you can see information traveling around on the screen, and who knows what, and then they know something, and bang, bang, bang. You know, um, and that would have been much harder to do if it was if it had been in a more sort of contemporary setting. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it was, I think it was really clever really clever use of the sort of like the technological um, side of things. Yeah. And if it can bring Tater Tots back again, that'd be fucking amazing. Yeah. Never went away, man. Fucking... Never went away. They did round yeah. here. You used to only be able to get them in Morrison's and you can't even get them from there, the bastards. How long did it take you to grow that mustache? Couple of days. I wish I could grow one. Are you going to eat your tots? No. Can I have them? I fucking love tater tots. <laughs> no, they are good. If, if anything, that might be one of the reasons that I wasn't as born to film, because I was like, oh, that's a waste of tater tots. I remember uh, when I went to I went to San Francisco in 2015. I was staying at a hostel, and they they would put on like a buffet breakfast every morning, and they had tater tots, and they had this like chicory flavored coffee. And I've even emailed the company that makes it and said, "Can I buy like five hundred dollars worth of it for you to send it to Britain?" And they were like, "No, we don't do that." But um, yeah, God, that coffee and those tater tots, God, that was great, absolutely yeah. great. So, yeah, you win just on the tater tots. I've got to be honest. Thank you. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you could have fucking rang that bell right at the very start. I knew this Well, I happen. mean, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't want you to come in with a defeatist attitude. <laughs> yeah. I will say, it is much you, harder you to take in the DVD, position. I mean. <laughs> what was that? It is much harder to argue from the positive position. I will say that. It's a lot easier to invoke Jeffrey Epstein. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's it. If you trace COVID back to John Hader. <laughs> <laughs> I could have quite easily just came in and shouted over the top of you and given it, shit, it's unfunny, and then just keep going, it's unfunny, it's unfunny, no, but it's not funny. But I'd, I'd rather just sit back and listen to you explain something to me that I didn't have the blindest <laughs> bit fucking clue about and then just sit and stammer and stutter my way through it and go, yeah, yeah, I hate it. You're, you're right. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's so much better. I just feign being knowledgeable. <laughs> just a sheer hate. That's all it is. It's fine. <laughs> it's fair enough. We can't all like the same things. So. <laughs> nope. No matter how hard I try, we can't all like the same things. <laughs> I'm still trying. <laughs> Garden State. <laughs> I re I rewatched Napoleon Dynamite with a hope. <laughs> I did. Like, to, be like honest, say, I... to be honest, oh, so on you go. No, sorry, you carry on. <laughs> I was going to say, to be honest, when I when I started it up and it started with you know a bit of Jack White and in the opening credits, I was going, do you know what? I've maybe I've maybe uh, judged this a bit too hard. Definitely, like let, let's let's see where this goes. And then he got on the bus, and I went, nah, no, nah, I've not. No, really. <laughs> so I pulled the reader up so that I could add it to this episode when it goes out, and I watched it, and I was like, "Actually, this might maybe I did like this film." <laughs> but the trailer is the trailer not marketed totally different from what the film is though. The the trailer very much plays up the quirky funny. Right. Yeah, well, it had to add to play in America, didn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, because it's got a weird because it's a Fox Searchlight film, isn't it? Yes. And then did MTV buy it off them or distribute it? I think M- be... I, I think MTV were the distributor in America, weren't they? Because it was it was very heavily integrated on MTV in America. Like um uh John John Heater was doing, you know, IDENTS for MTV in yeah. two thousand five, two thousand and six. So I'm not sure what the relationship was, but I think they definitely had a stake in it. Have any of you watched the uh the short film that inspired it? Not yet, no. I haven't. It's it's on it's YouTube. Come off that. It's, yeah, it's on YouTube, like eight minutes or something like that. But yeah, I've not, I've not, I never got around to watching it. It's just a black and white thing. But yeah, I, I didn't have to DVD, but yeah, it must be on the DVD. I, I didn't get around to it because I was too busy um, uh, pulling academic articles off JSTOR for this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the day that I can come in and be like, right, 36-page, <laughs> massive article analysing some shit, I don't know, some fucking film, um, and throw it back, but it's never going to happen, is it? I'm still just going to come in and sit down and listen to you soliloquise about something, and then I can sit and say, yeah, but it's shit though, isn't it? Well, it could, well it, no, it could work. All you do is you type in the name of the film and then academic article, and you just keep, <laughs> you just scroll through them until you find one that makes the same points you did. I was <laughs> I was actually just thinking of printing off every Roger Ebert, and whether he likes it or not, I can just rattle that off and then pretend it was me. Oh, he did. He did not like Napoleon Dynamite. He said he did. No, he, he did didn't, not. He didn't get it. No, but then he, there's a lot of films he didn't understand. Um, he very much there's a lot of films that he he takes at face value and doesn't analyze in any way shape or form yeah that that you really should have like you, if you'd got if you'd got into it from the get-go you would have you would have been able to analyze it a wee bit but there's loads of stuff that he very much just takes at entertainment face value and just the venom that comes off of it is unbelievable <laughs> yeah he did not oh, yeah. enjoy the Roger Ebert doesn't like your film you know about it <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If if you're middling, you know about it as well. 
Well, yeah, if anything, I'd say you're worse if you're middling with Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, three stars does not go down well with Roger Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> um, just Googling it, it looks like uh, Fox Searchlight picked it up at Sundance and then partnered with MTV and Paramount to release it, which it's seems like the smart. natural choice, really. Yeah, smart. Yeah, and then stiffed them at a bunch of money, apparently. Mm-hmm. Fox, uh, stiff, they... stiff people, surely not. I know. Apparently, they were... Um... The agreement in the contract or something was like thirty odd percent of all the marketing and royalties, like all the all the gear, all the all the t-shirts and bobbleheads and all that kind of stuff. They were uh, Jared Hess and his Napoleon or his Dynamite Company or something like that were meant to get thirty uh, percent, and Fox Searchlight only gave them nine. Oh, good. <laughs> Is this yeah, the old didn't get like, made a profit off it, lads? <laughs> Yeah, it didn't, it didn't get picked up until like six, seven years later or something where they figured that it was like 9% they'd been getting the entire time. You know. um, so they sued them, yeah. The Insane. movie business. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just fucking bullshit, really. Um, but speaking of Jared Hess, what... I mean, has, has his sort of fame with films went down or up in your opinion i mean what was it natural libre was next wasn't it yeah natural libre and he did gentleman broncos as well i think were the two biggest ones was gentleman broncos big i can know well it, it wasn't big but it got a reasonable release i think um, it very it... much was played up on the you know another side view of the world from the guy that brought you napoleon dynamite kind of job wasn't it yeah, and I think the last thing he did that um, most people would have seen was the TV series Last Man on Earth. And I yeah. don't know if he, oh, I don't know if either of you have seen this. Oh, possible was that a moan of disapproval from Tom? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, right, <laughs> okay. No, it was just an um, acknowledgement. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah. Last Man on Earth. You you can see, you can see his influence in that because that uh, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but Will Forte's in it, and he is um, essentially the last man on earth. Like a, a pandemic has wiped out every single <laughs> for, person for the, the shortest world. time. Like he's the last man on earth. Yeah, for a little bit, he's the last man on earth. So he's just been going around in an RV, like picking up these like priceless antiques and all this stuff. And I, and you can see his influence in that because it is it, it can be quite slow moving. There's lots of long static shots to show like the loneliness of it, but also the attention to detail in it is marvelous because he's faked all this like old footage of like you know the the virus ripping through the u.s so like president trump's funeral and then two days later it's president pence's funeral president pelosi's funeral president betty devos's funeral and all this stuff <laughs> and also um his brother comes down from um from space spoilers and um they're all sitting around a campfire and his brother's playing the guitar but his brother who's played by uh christ jason sudeikis yeah um is left-handed and he's playing the right-handed guitar strung the other way that Kurt Cobain used in Unplugged. It's the it's like the exact same model, so oh, it nice. would have been one of these antiques that he picked up. So the attention to detail in it is fantastic. But um, that's probably the last thing most people would have seen of his. Yeah, he's, he's largely been a TV director. He only directed two episodes of that. Is that fairly yeah, recent? Yeah. Uh, well, it's t- 2016 to 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, those two things sound very much like why uh, why the last man because he's the last guy on earth and then there's astronauts come down from space and they're also male <laughs> it's just that little bit when you said his brother comes down from space and yeah 
it seems like they've borrowed heavily from that by the sounds of things. It's it's oh, one of those yeah. series that was good for like a series and a half, and then it really ran out of ideas. Right for me, and okay. it just got messed around the schedules a lot. So, it was, but it it was all right. Like I say it was funny, and it that's I mean I Will Farrell in it for a couple of episodes, which whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is personal preference the, kind of thing. But yeah, he seemed to do like it... three or four films, and then it's mostly been oh. odd directing TV jobs. Right. But Who's I the main think... guy in that again? Is it Will Forte? Will Forte. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's him and um, Kristen Shaw are the two main right. ones. Yep. But I think him and John Hader suffered the same fate because uh, John Hader, uh, Hader didn't really do anything. I don't think he ever escaped from Napoleon Dynamite, did he? Yeah, it cast a fairly large shadow over their careers, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. He uh, he was very much sort of typecast for ages as well. I mean, he was in a film called, oh, what was it? Just Like Heaven with yeah. um, Reese Witherspoon and uh, Mark Ruffalo. And the, he's like a bookshop guy or something. Uh, and he just he's effectively just a more coherent Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Oh, was he in that, was he? Ugh. Yeah, he's like, he's like the oh, guy yeah, who can... Yeah, he can he can feel Reese Witherspoon in the room or whatever because she's spoiler she's she's a ghost, um, but or a spirit of some sort, and uh, yeah, he can like feel her out. But like the way the way he's speaking and everything, it's almost like they've said, "Look, we want you to come in and play this guy, but we want you just to be Napoleon Dynamite." Um, kind of the same with Blades of Glory as well, actually. Really good film, but you know they just asked him to be a a sort of camp ice skating version of Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, School for Scoundrels as well. He's largely a slightly less annoying Napoleon Dynamite. Because, yeah, Just Like Heaven was his next big film after Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, was that right? <laughs> He's in the Surf's Up films, Monster House. Then, yeah, a lot of TV jobs again. <laughs> so Just uh, Like Heaven next, lads, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Although oh, it was Napoleon Bonafrog in the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles computer animated series for Nick, Nickelodeon. He seems to have done a lot of cartoon voice work. That's another thing that I think will end up on the National Film Registry at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a better Witherspoon. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so, any so, it's another, so it's another stalemate then, isn't it? I don't think anybody's won anybody over either way, but like I say, these these aren't particularly about winning people over. It's just about offering counterpoint views so that. <laughs> no, and I I gave the lost in translation to you the last time, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm reticent to give you the on this one. Um, but uh, but at the same point, I will say, well played for bringing a bringing an A bomb to a knife fight, mate, with that uh, <laughs> with that article. I got a. Uh, you you know, pulled top, a knife. You the... the site from orbit. Yeah, I mean, I I barely got a, a a first fuck this movie out of my mouth, and I was told right analytical view, and here's a fucking paper on it. Take that, yeah, prick. Paul <laughs> Ripley from Aliens. <laughs> it's fine now. Come to expect it. <laughs> it's because you bit into that DVD in that video. He's just. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I went. I, I went big. Or went home and 
Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'll just do that every time now. <laughs> we'll have to just cut promos back and forward. <laughs> but, no, I think it turned into another perfectly pleasant chat. So. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. But movie perfectly pleasant chats doesn't sell as well. So. <laughs> no, we've got to bill it as a dust-up, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Well, I think there were different opinions. We were everybody's part in company, not agreeing, which is <laughs> which is about how modern next... life is. So <laughs> the next time we do this, we'll have to have uh, Stu get a video dressed up as a ref. You can get your green screen <laughs> on the go, and I can get a feather bow of some sort. And we'll get some uh, shoot promos on the go. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. Hang on, this is getting sexy. <laughs> feather boas. <laughs> Hey, you got it, mate. You got it. <laughs> but um, anybody got any closing arguments, or are we all content that John won? <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> I accept the referee's decision. <laughs> <sighs> he won. I'm sorry. I'm too tired to, to argue. You have to do a deep dive when we ever get to Garden State. I'll just I'll I'll hit back and this shows that you've won as well, I'll hit back with a God idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I got you did the kick as well. And then ran off up the <laughs> <Yeah>. stairs. <laughs> no, just that, that should be stop. how you leave this cut this podcast. Like, oh god, idiot. <laughs> or maybe you could dance about movies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's two 0 to John. Sorry, Tom. Ugh, one of Class. these days. Not not that we're doing scores, but if we were. <laughs> oh, that sounds like we are doing scores. So don't worry, don't worry. About <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not that we're doing scores, but uh, not that we're doing John. scores, but John won. Yeah, I'm trying to give you the shit sandwich, right? <laughs> <laughs> right okay. And if it's shit sandwiches well... for Tom, just call me the bread man, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if that's not your Twitter oh. handle at some point. You got that to your bio. Pinned tweet. John the Breadman Tucker. That's your fighting name. In fact, I'm credit you in this episode as John the Breadman Tucker. So does that mean I make my pinned tweet, I'm the shit? <laughs> well, yeah, but depending on how people read it, it could be I'm the shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's only if they listen to this, they'll know the true context. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a system of self-defense that I developed over two seasons of fighting in the octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your sensei. Bow to your sensei! Okay. Now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Give me your best shot. All right, that was pretty good. Okay, now watch this, everybody. Grab my arm, the other arm, my other arm. Okay, now watch this. I'm just gonna break the wrist and walk away. Break the wrist, walk away. Jeez. Okay, it's just that simple. Now, I want you to kick me. Come on, kick me. Okay, do it again. Do it again. Ouch. Okay. You'll block it every time. Have a seat. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, 
Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more flying solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn about self-respect. Do you think anybody thinks I'm a failure because I go home to Starla at night? Forget about it. Now, for only $300, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program. Well, that place was a rip-off. Anyway, on that note, something that nobody wins at is the... Uh... Bernard Pivo questions from inside the actor's studio, which I like to end this podcast with now. So if you are ready, I shall fire 10 questions at you and uh, yeah, await your answers. So nice. do you, if I ask, do you want to go first, Tom, then John? Yeah, it works. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, then, so question one, what is your favorite word? Anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> I just like it. And John, oh, what's my favourite word? Oh Christ! Um, oh God, I should. Oh, I should. I got sent these well in advance, folks. I'm sorry about this. I should have prepared. Um, <laughs> favourite word? Um, crumple. Nice. I don't know why. It's just satisfying. It's got round edges. <laughs> uh. Question two, what is your least favourite word? Nice. Uncrumple. (laughs) (laughs) I should have prepared for this, I'm sorry. I thought you would have went for smooth. (laughs) Uh, I don't like smooth, actually, yeah. Let's go with that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of those words, isn't it? Like lush or... It's just pretentious. Yeah. Smooth. Uh, Question three, what turns you on creatively or... Whatever. What turns oh, so you it's on? Not, it's not sexually. Well, it can be sexually. Uh, well, if it was sexually, it's if pretty it's sexually, much... I'm making notes. Yeah, if <laughs> it's sexually, it's pretty much everything. If it's non-sexual, <laughs> it's a beautiful singing voice. Um, well, I hope that's not on your business card. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Tom Stewart turned on by pretty much everything. <laughs> Uh, well, if we're talking sexually, it's the classic women. Um, and if we're, <laughs> um, and if, it's, if we're talking non-sexually, uh, what turns me on creatively? Um, I'm not really the kind of person that needs to turn it on creatively. I find it just I, I find I've I've got enough to be getting on with. So um, don't really need any outside stimulus. I've got enough going on in my own head. So, uh, so not yourself, a, not applicable. Yeah, myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Question four, what turns you off? Uh, smoking and face paint. Um, meat. Which makes me a better vegetarian or vegan than Tom, I think, because he said smoking and face paint. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Uh, hair getting cut with hair clippers. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Um, 
rain on a window while I'm inside. Oh. Yeah. See, I love that. Because it's because it's spite. Do you know what I mean? Like, ah ha ha. <laughs> I'm inside. Do you know what I mean? Like, Till you remember, you got to go out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Football chanting, one hundred percent. Oh god, yeah. Football chanting, darts chanting, darts chanting is even worse because it's oh yeah, way less together. What sound or noise do I hate? Um, I know this is going to sound bad, but children playing. <laughs> oh, I hate it. That, mate. I yeah, hate it. My kids aren't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but then they'll be in your house playing. Yeah, but I can I can be one of those parents that you write a book about when you're when you're an adult. You know what I mean? Like one of those like <laughs> like um. He like, broke all my toys. Yeah. <laughs> like Joan Collins or something. <laughs> it'll be uh, it'll be uh, Daddy No by Patricia Tucker. <laughs> Uh, which leads us nicely on to uh, what's your favourite curse word? Fuck. Definitely. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. It's a classic. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's all iterations as well. Fucking fucker. Fuck you. Fuck. You know, fuck. fucked. Yeah. <laughs> fucked, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is the uh, multi-tool of swearing. Yeah. It was one of the, I think it was one of the first swear words that I, I actually got into because there's a <laughs> there's a, a murder dolls song. Uh, I think it's called "I Love to Say Fuck," if I remember rightly, and it just he just says why he loves to say fuck constantly, and uh, yeah, fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and uh, George Carlin's seven dirty words you can't say on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? This is actually a hard one. I, I went for a settled-on session drummer. Oh, that's good. Oh. <laughs> You've never seen Whiplash. No, <laughs> <laughs> no se- oh. session drummer, not a session jazz musician. <laughs> what profession other than my own would like to attempt? Um I've always thought I'd be quite happy writing comedy for television. Not not being on television, but like just writing jokes and sending them off and have other people do them. And then, they, yeah, they get all applauded, but there'll be a bunch of virgins on the internet who are like, oh, it's actually John Tucker. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and then they can come on my Twitter and I can absolutely blast them. So, um, yeah, I think like curmudgeonly commonly writer. Like, um, I don't know if either of you two know him, but there's um, an ex-Simpsons writer called John Swartzwelder. Yeah. Who wrote these novels? Like one of them was called like The Time Machine Did It, and there was a western called Double Wonderful, and they're the funniest books going. But he's a total recluse. Like he won't be on the commentaries for The Simpsons. Like he, there's like one photo of him, and um, he's in, and he said like when he was in The Simpsons writing room, uh, he would just be like chain smoking all day long. He wouldn't talk to anybody <laughs> unless he had to, and he used to write his Simpsons episode in the booth of a diner. And then the diner went non-smoking, so we bought the booth from the diner and put it in his house. <laughs> so I think, yeah, like like a John Swartz or Swartz Weldery type job would probably suit me. Nice. That's fine. Uh, spot on. What profession would you not like to do? A bus boy or server for the Americans. Oh God, yeah. Um, there, there is a job. There, 
Sorry, go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say anything with food. Like, anything with food or drink. Like, nah. Just nah. Yeah, it's rotten. Um, There there is... uh, I remember seeing um, a documentary a few years ago about somebody whose job it was to... um, They were... What were they doing? I think they were, like, artificially uh, inseminating uh chicken eggs or something like that so it was someone's job to like use a machine to like suck off the roosters oh. and i don't think i'd like to suck off uh farm animals so anything agricultural i think <laughs> do you know what i mean like but that in particular i do not want to be sucking off farm animals and i've been consistent yeah. on that my whole life <laughs> yeah i think yeah anything that involves is like anything like that <laughs> oh god there's people there's people who are in charge just of getting a horse ready before going as well mm. um like they're just like the horse fluffer like they don't yeah. actually do the the action they're not the one that you know switch it out the old switcheroo into the fake the fake vagina and all that kind of stuff no they're the one that just gets the horse going before it yeah the mr hands of the farm it's not a job <laughs> is it yeah just you know yeah not right See, I knew Fluffer would come up eventually. I didn't think it'd be a farm-based Fluffer. <laughs> I thought we'd go at least like five episodes before that. <laughs> and finally, after that, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm Michael Aspel, and this <laughs> is your life. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> So you just want to? So you've just gotten into heaven, and all you want is a replay of your time on earth. How narcissistic can you be, man? Yeah, big time, <laughs> big time. Ah, the afterlife exists. Let's see the uh, let's see the old best of then. Come on. Yeah, I might say I'm really hoping <laughs> that after after all of it, it is just a big telly and a and a VHS player, and I get to just spin through it and have a look and be like, right, where did I fuck up? Come on. <laughs> Oh, so you God. want a really nasty version of this is your life? Yeah, yeah. It's a honestly, yeah. Not Michael recapping Aspel your best was... bits, just everywhere you went wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might get to the best bits eventually, um, but you know, show me, show me the fuck ups first. Right. So we've got the best of real, but before that, we're going to show you. Here's that argument you started with your first girlfriend that you wish you hadn't for the next forty <laughs> minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Give me a Here's bit of help. You said wrong. You me... would have made that dream girl say yes if you just use this word instead. <laughs> this is give what me... your life would have been like. Give me a bit of shit before you give me a lifetime of heaven because I'll just be bored watching all the rest. Yeah, I know all the good stuff. I remember that. That's fine. Yeah, cool. You know, but That's that time that the you... good stuff isn't actually how you remembered it at all. Well, yeah, because <laughs> when it gets to, it's like this is the best bits, and I'm like, oh, it was just picking up rubbish on the street. Great. <laughs> Oh. Oh. Just picking up dog shit in a bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that this is day your you best forgot bits. bags. This is your best bits. Oh, the time I bent down and thought it was coppers, but it was actually chocolate buttons. Brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Yeah. Give me Michael Aspel going through my life. He tells me it. Um, or he gives me a VHS, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> so Michael Aspel's pre recorded. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just you don't even something. Get me on stage 
thing of people getting brought out that you I, mean, I never liked them. Nah, fuck that noise. No. <sighs> no, I'm dead now. I want some peace. <laughs> <laughs> to sit and relive your life on VHS. <laughs> I'm saying all this because I know there's nothing. So <laughs> this is just my choice. And <laughs> <laughs> um, John. Um, what was the question? Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? All right. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't want the full. I don't want the full soap down replay. I don't want all that. I think all I want is like what I'd like is for him to just say, "Look, right on the balance of it, um, like you did more good than bad." Do you know what I mean? Like you were a net positive. I'm not expecting like you were a perfect angel and you never did anything wrong. No, no, no. Just like look, balance it up. The the world was. It was marginally better for you having been in it. Like you didn't, you didn't like egregiously do anything horrible. You weren't a complete prick to to you know to everybody. Now, what would you like to know? And that's what I want. Like so, I can say right, who killed Kennedy? Do you know what I mean like so I can get all the shit in that I've wondered? Do you know what I mean? Like what really happened in the Montreal screw job? Who really knew about it? Answer all the questions that have bothered me. That's what I want. Is like an encyclopedia that we can. We can just sit there for a bit and go through it. Like, right, who killed Kennedy? Well, it was actually the Russians. Was it? Okay. Uh, what happened with uh, what happened with Jim uh, Jim Morrison? Uh, he no, that was that one was true. Okay, next. Uh, you know, all that. Other stuff. That's what I want. Is a uh, here's my Sophia couple aboard. What was it is accurate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did lost oh, in translation God. get made? Because because she was um, because she was his daughter. Yes, I knew it. Next. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did I win those episodes of Movie Fights? Yeah, you fucking smashed it, mate. Ah, oh, cheers, God. <laughs> Just get out there and John Heater's God. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> awesome. Your Michael, your Michael Aspel sounds a lot more boring than mine. Fuck me. <laughs> what, the one yeah. with the encyclopedic knowledge of everything that happened on Earth. Boring. Yeah, fuck, that. <laughs> uh, fuck that. Find out, find out all the shitty stuff you did. It's fine. <laughs> awesome. You can right find then. all that stuff out, all the conspiracy theory stuff, by going on off Guardian. You're fine. That's true, actually. Yeah, they've, they've got the answer to everything. I've changed my answer. What I want God to show me is uh, Tom's best of and worst of. Real. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to see my own. I want to see Tom's. They'll probably just hand that out to everybody that comes afterwards. Yeah. And we got this free VHS for you. Who's Tom Stewart? Oh, you'll find out. You'll find out, boy. <laughs> awesome. Um, anything you guys want to plug? And then where can people find you online as well? So, John, you've got a collection of your workout on Comic House, I believe. Oh, well, I wasn't going to bring it up. But, um, yeah, no, I've got uh, my critically acclaimed uh, anthology work, Picture Books for Bad People, which... At time of recording, is number one on the Comic House chart. Couldn't be simpler to find. Just go to the chart, and there it is there, right at the top of the old list. It'll probably be, like, way down by the time this goes out. But for now, it's number one. Um, so, yeah, so that's out. Uh, easiest place to find me on Twitter. I'm at John Tucker Art, and I'm the same. I'm John Tucker Art on Twitch, where I... Uh, live draw a couple of times a week most recently i drew all 117 things in billy joel's we didn't start the fire in less than an hour so that's a good one and yeah that's where i'm available online i kind of feel that's what billy joel wanted from that song 
<laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, you've been so, doing that. I hope the... some mug draws this in a couple of years. <laughs> I don't care about the gold record. <laughs> Has the guy who did plan A and plan B drawn it yet? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And Tom, uh, anything new coming from Fair Spark or yourself? Or um, Well, I've got um, issue one and two in a bundle at the minute of Hopper Detective of the Strange from Rob Barnes, which I've had a hand in editing. Um, that's coming very, very soon. There's pre-orders up for that just now. Um, you can also just get issue one or just issue two, if you like. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's incoming in the background, kind of, from Fair Spark that you'll see over the, the sort of tail end of this year slash start of next year. So just keep an eye out. Just always keep an eye out on Fair Spark, definitely. Um, get them across at Fair Spark Books on, uh, on Twitter and uh, fairsparkbooks.co.uk. Um, also, it's always worth mentioning that you can get myself across that, that comic smell, which we're always putting out episodes. We've got another one coming soon, remote episodes. And obviously listen across at the Comic Art Festival podcast for me twittering on about people's small press titles or whatever I can get my hands on at time of recording. Awesome. Cracking. And you're on Twitter as at? Oh, yeah, at U-R-A-M-Y-X. Sorry, yeah. I always forget something. Right. So there you go. Thanks very much, Stu. That's <laughs> right. I do need Andy after reminding what this is every fucking week. So... <laughs> <laughs> awesome well cheers for that gents i really enjoyed it and uh yeah we shall have to decide on another one yes uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure i'll think of one <laughs> just like heaven yep that's good <laughs> i don't want to have to watch that again <laughs> i saw it once mark ruffalo is so dreamy well i mean yeah but i can just look at a picture of him i mean what <laughs> Also, I definitely ain't picking a film. I'm not having you fuckers take one of my films apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're definitely doing one of your films, so... <sighs> yes. Okay, I'll have to pick one that I don't really like, so that I don't mind. <laughs> Showgirls. The Snyder Cut. Does that mean that we get to ask you the questions at the end? <laughs> Do I have to look up a dissertation? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to win. Ah, well, <laughs> I've never been a winner, so... Ah, oh, that was a really sad note to end on. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I never really went. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that depressing note, let's go play some tetherball and eat some tater tots. Oh. Cheers, gents. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye. I caught you a delicious bass. You want to play me? that's it for episode two of and why not movie fights uh, i hope you guys enjoyed listening to it i'd like to thank john the Breadman tucker and tom the shit stewart for being on the episode and discussing the film and you know coming to a mutual agreement to disagreement kind of end result which let's be fair that's where we all thought it'd go um 
yeah, you can find John and Tom online um, by following the links they gave in the episode. If you missed them in the episode, they'll be in the show notes. You can just check them out on there. And yeah, like I say, check them out. Check out John's artwork. Check out Tom's uh, podcast, That Comic Smell. Um, and that's really it for this episode. A couple of shout outs. Um, since we recorded the Kickstarter for The Spark, which is the all ages comic um you know, with a focus on kids, but it's all ages, from um, Fair Sparks Books, has launched on Kickstarter. If you search The Spark or Fair Sparks Books or Little Heroes, it should come up on Kickstarter. But it's for the next issue, and you can also subscribe, get previous issues, and subscribe to the next four issues that come after as well. Um, yeah, like I say, go on there, check it out, uh, check out the rewards and that. Um, Andy's been involved with that. Dan, Vince, Tony, Tom, they've all from... Um, obviously Tom who was just on this and Dan Vincent Tony from the Awesome Comics Podcast uh, they're involved in it as well so yeah if you've got kids it's well worth checking out um, yeah and that's sort of it for this one a um, couple of other podcast shout outs so like I say Awesome Comics Podcast um, That Comic Smell Never On Anything which I recently did an episode with Tony on John Burns Man of Steel um, which is worth checking out but there's ones that are so much better that are also worth checking out and if you like a film podcast, check out Films to be Buried with with Brett Goldstein. Um, you can find all of those by searching them on iTunes or Podbean or whatnot. And Comics Unencumbered with Cliff Cumber, which is only on Podbean because, you know, he's niche and exclusive like that. Um, but, yeah, that's some podcasts to check out as well, just because, you know, we need things to do sometimes in lockdown. And it's always nice to shout out some other good, proper quality podcasts, unlike this one. Um, yeah, if you'd like to follow the nerds online you can find us at um we're on podbean as hauntednerds.podbean.com all our previous episodes including the uh, y comics and the general nerds episodes are also available on the website there's also some on there for the nerds who haunt themselves that go back so far they're not even on podbean um if you really want to go back that far um you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds and we're also on Twitter as at haunted nerds so you can contact us on there leave us any comments uh, things you'd like to see films you'd possibly like to see covered whether you'd like to see more of these movie fights um, and yeah if you'd like to follow me online for whatever reason I'm on Twitter as at token nerd I'm on Instagram as Stuart thinks he can draw which is all underscored so between each one so Stuart underscore thinks underscore and so on and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Stuart Can't Draw where you can see my uh, attempts at art and that sort of thing. I'm still doing the draw in a day. I've been doing some Nerds Haunt Themselves comics each day for the last week or so um, if you want to check that sort of thing out. And yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, like I say, I'm not sure what's coming next week yet. I've got a couple of things lined up and nothing concrete. So we shall see. And yeah, until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunt Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine, and until next time, um, watch awesome movies, and yeah, have a good time, stay safe, and look after each other. Thanks for listening. Bye.